Hello, everyone, and welcome to Flashes of DEI, a podcast where we explore topics and ideas related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. I am Dr. NJ Akbar, the Associate Vice President for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Kitt State University, and I'm excited to be here today. I'm excited to be with my colleague, Katie. Yeah, hey, MJ. And spoiler alert, hey, Dr. Smith-Briar. My name is uh, Katie Matthias. I use they, them, their pronouns, and I serve as director here in DEI. Yes, and in uh, January, colleges, universities, the United States in general are celebrating Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Today, we wanted to take some time to talk and learn a little bit more about who he was and have a special guest and fellow Golden Flash, Dr. Smith-Briar who's amazing. Uh, Mm -hmm. So can you just join us uh, and and share a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thank you so much for having me here today. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. My name is Liz Smith Pryor. I've been a professor of African-American history at Kent State since 2001. So for a bit more than 20 years. So I've been here a long time. I've been a golden flash for a long time. Yeah. And I teach courses both to undergraduates and graduate students, again, in African-American history. Right now, I'm teaching this semester an upper division undergraduate class on the history of the civil rights and Black power movements, where we're going to actually be exploring some of that history and what happened here on our campus. So I'm really excited about that class. I feel like I need to like sit in the back of your class. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. we're going to be doing, our class is going to do a really cool (laughs) digital history project. Yeah, that's amazing. pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here and to share your, your time and your expertise with us um, and to especially talk about Dr. King. We have a, a list of questions that we've come up with and we would love to get right into it if you are ready to start answering some of those questions. Ready to go. Awesome. All right. So one of the biggest things around uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., that gets like brought up is his, I have a dream speech. It's pretty much the token thing that folks pull from his repertoire. And that seems like a solid place to start, uh, especially because there appears, at least from my perspective, to be a pattern of people using intentionally or unintentionally the speech in ways that flatten who he was and and what he was advocating for. Uh, So could you talk a little bit about that and what we should actually be remembering or taking away from that speech? Sure. No, that's a great question. And I think you're right. That is a lot of what has happened in the decades since 1963 Mm -hmm. and the I Have a Dream speech is that in many ways people have cherry picked Mm -hmm. um, to fit their own particular agenda. And when I think about the I Have a Dream speech, I like to think about the context in which that speech was given. Right. Mm -hmm. That speech was given at the 1963 March on Washington for jobs and freedom. That's the full title of Mm -hmm. that event. Broad. This is an event that King was involved in organizing with a lot of other people, too. And when you look at photographs from that day, you will see protesters and marchers who are carrying a wide variety of signs, Mm -hmm. carrying signs that are calling out for um, the end of discrimination in job hiring, uh, carrying signs calling for uh, voting rights for Mm -hmm. African-Americans, calling for the end of police brutality in the Mm -hmm. United States. Um, Again, all things that we tend to kind of write out of our memory of the moment where King gives his speech. And we also have to know, too, King was just one 
mm-hmm. of a number of people who gave speeches during the March on Washington, though his became the most famous in part because he was such a wonderful um, speaker. But I think the other thing that happens too with his speech, as I mentioned earlier, people cherry pick mm-hmm. from it what they want to hear. And they forget, for example, I went back to the speech. I usually go back to it to kind of, you know, reread it and remind myself of what's actually in there. Mm-hmm. He starts off first talking about Lincoln, because part of the March on Washington, it's 100 mm-hmm. years since the Emancipation Proclamation, right? And one mm-hmm. of the things he says, and you don't see this too much on cute little mugs, uh, <laughs> you know, or other things that people, uh-huh. tchotchkes that people sell. You know, one of the things he points out, I'm going to quote him, quote, 100 years later, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. Mm-hmm. 100 years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. And what is he talking about there? He's obviously talking about the continuation of Jim Crow and segregation, but he's also talking about racialized economic inequality. Mm-hmm. That's a big part of who he's about and who he was about throughout his entire career. But we leave that out. You know, we also leave out some other things that he says in the speech, too. Um, Quote where he says, you know, we've come to this hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. This is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off or to take the tranquilizing drug of gradualism. Now is the time to make real the promises of democracy. Hmm. Again, we don't tend to hear that language coming out when people tweet on, right. uh, you know, MLK mm-hmm. Day. Again, they mostly just focus on the language which comes towards the end, where he's really engaging in this beautiful rhetorical imagining of the future. And he's making it clear it's not here yet. Mm-hmm. You know, when he says he has that dream that is for children will one day live in a nation where they won't be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Mm-hmm. Now, his four children are grown up. You know, his children are grown up. Mm-hmm. And my guess is if you ask them today, you know, I've seen, you know, Bernice King's tweets and things like that. Yeah. They know that that was, you know, a dream that he had. He, he saw that as something that was the possibility in the future, but he wasn't saying it was here. And, and they would argue today it's mm-hmm. still not here. Yeah. So to continue yeah. to quote that as the only thing that matters in this speech just strikes me as perhaps a little kind of a perverse understanding yeah. of what yeah. King was about that day. So I think for me, those are the things that are really important in, in kind of trying to, to enrich our understanding of who King was about. And even again, to take that speech, which we so often, as you so nicely put it, flatten him into a caricature of who he was. Yeah. yeah. I love what you said. It's really just profound because if you think about his speech also, he says that, you know, Black people in America was, you know, basically left in the corners and in exile uh, in this same speech. Yes. And the I have a dream part wasn't even originally a part of his speech. He wasn't going to talk about that. Hmm. Um, That was a speech that he gave in Detroit in honor of the 20th anniversary of the Detroit race riots uh, that happened in 1943. You know, he talked about uh, him having a dream that uh, one day people would be able to buy a house wherever they want. You know, mm-hmm. and they can get a job wherever they want. And so the, the, even though it wasn't an exact 
replica gets very interesting that that that's cherry picked and flattened. Yeah, that's a really excellent point. You're right. He started speaking from his prepared speech, and then he did kind of uh, move into as a lot of great speakers can uh, being able to kind of draw on really you know wonderful uh, rhetoric from earlier speeches. But no, that's a that's a great point. It, a lot of that came from an earlier an earlier speech. This is awesome. The first question, and I'm already learning so much. And it is really interesting too. Dr. Smith Pryor, when you were talking about like the, you know, the parts that are put on mugs, like there are like the urgency of now is something I've seen like tweeted sure. out, but then the rest of the, the sentence gets dropped off. Yeah. And you see, at least based on my basic knowledge of MLK and what you shared, people who are doing things that he would actively oppose taking those sentiments and tweeting them being like, here's a piece of MLK's speech that resonates with me and I'm going to ignore the rest of it. It's so interesting. Like, what? right. Well, they take yeah. him totally out of context. Yeah. One of the reasons I, I suspect we flatten him is it makes it easier for mm. all Americans to, uh, to find him acceptable. We yeah. like to, we like to not remember that during the times that he was active, most white Americans did not like Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. You know, when he was assassinated, Many white Americans weren't too sad about it. Mm-hmm. Again, it's, it's become easier over time to by kind of creating this caricature of what he was about to put him in advertisements, to yeah, mm-hmm. put him on mugs or whatever it is, or, or, you know, cute little sayings and totally decontextualize them yeah. from who he was, uh, what he was about, what part, what larger movement he was part of, because he was, you know, he's, he's one person mm-hmm. in the civil rights mm-hmm. movement. Um, but again, he wasn't the only speech maker that day. There were a variety of, of different activists. Yeah, important stuff. Uh, that like the notion of like flattening him to make him more palatable uh, to wider audiences and more realistically wider audiences. Yeah. Yes. Mm. You know, I, I want some more. So can you talk <laughs> <All> to <right>. us? <laughs> Can you just talk to us about some things that people may not know about Dr. King and his work? Uh, You talked about him being flattened to be palatable. Talk to us about what it is that may not be as palatable. Good question. Yeah, there's a lot about him that I think, particularly in the the current moment we're living through, where we're seeing, for example, at... uh, school boards and a variety of maybe state legislatures being very concerned about uh, what they call CRT being taught Mm -hmm. in the classroom and those sorts of things. And there's a lot of uh, backlash against what I would really argue is kind of an accurate depiction of American history and African-American history. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think one of the things that, that we don't know enough about King, and that I think, again, would help us, uh, if this is a word, unflatten our caricature (laughs) of him, is again, a really key part of his activism for the entire time he was active as um, in the civil rights movement was um, his concern about addressing economic injustice. Mm. And King also was well aware that this wasn't something that was just going to change by magic, that Mm. in fact, it was gonna require deep structural change. Mm -hmm. In 1964, So a year after the March on Washington, he publishes a book called Why We Can't Wait. And in that book, he calls for things that in many ways are still considered really radical to call Mm -hmm. for today in terms of changes in public Mm -hmm. policy to address um, structural inequality. He calls for full employment 
He calls for uh, that there should be basically a guaranteed income for families, mm. you know, so that people wouldn't fall into poverty. You know, he, he basically makes clear in a number of the, the things that he writes between, you know, again, March on Washington through the time of his assassination, you know, again, that what's needed is, yes, we do need voting rights. Um, yes, we do need the end of discrimination and things like public accommodations uh, with the Civil Rights Act of, of 1964. But again, we also need to have structural change. And mm-hmm. he was well aware that that was leading that, that call for structural change, um, housing, economics, uh, I mean, jobs, uh, education, mm-hmm. all those sorts of things was actually generating a, a white backlash. But again, he still felt the only way the United States would actually ever really achieve what it had said it was supposed to be was through that kind of massive structural change. Mm-hmm. Another thing I was thinking recently that I think, you know, is very timely for uh, January of 2022, only maybe a month before the March on Washington, he was being asked a bunch of questions in a press conference. And um, in that press conference, he was being asked about um, the possibility of a Civil Rights Act being passed. Mm. And one of the things that, that King said was he was concerned that it might not pass. Um, and he said, well, quote, I think the tragedy is that we have a Congress with a Senate that has a minority of misguided senators who will use the filibuster mm. to keep the majority of people from even voting. So he was very well aware. Right now we're living through a moment in 2022 where the filibuster has returned to mm-hmm. uh, public attention in this moment of is Congress going to do something about voting rights? Mm-hmm. And um, again, almost 60 years ago, King was well aware of how the filibuster was being used in the Senate to make it much more difficult for African Americans to have access to their rights, full yeah. panoply of rights as American citizens. And finally, the last thing, and it's connected to the economic justice. You know, when King's assassinated, He's assassinated at a moment where it's not part of a civil rights march. He's supporting a strike, mm. the sanitation workers strike in Memphis, mm-hmm. um, which was a workers who were primarily, well, they're really all African-American men who were, you know, in, in, in being sanitation workers in Memphis were being treated horrifically. Mm. And um, they decided to go on strike. And that that's where King is. King's with working people, King's with poor people. He, he, he starts the poor people's campaign, which, you know, unfortunately he's assassinated before he can lead that. But he's on the side of people who are trying in many ways to speak truth to power. And mm-hmm. I think that's, we have to kind of yeah. hang on to that as part of what's really important and um, what we need to know about King, you know, beyond the, the little sound bites from I Have a Dream. Yeah. You are uh, really dropping some great knowledge Oh my God, I'm, I'm so inspired. But you you brought up uh, the book, Why We Can't Wait. One is one of my personal favorites, mm. right? So uh, he, he uses the depiction of, of this boy and girl as uh, examples to show what's happening in America mm. and specifically, you know, talks about, you know, the history book not depicting them. So I think that that's perfect kind of dovetail or display for what we're dealing with today, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I appreciate that kind of, you know, bringing it full circle right. and making them a little more uh, 3D, if you mm. will, instead of flattening. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, this, the, I think for me, 
the heartbreaking thing in so many ways is like, like I'm a historian. So, you know, I deal mostly with things from the past. You know, on one hand, I'm glad when it's relevant to our present, but I wish in some ways this wasn't relevant yeah. to our present. That's the thing that struck me the most. Like as you're talking yeah. about all these things, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what's happening right now. Right. Issues of labor and unionizing, uh, issues of poverty right. and access to resources, uh, issues around voting, right? Like all these things that right. were relevant and needed to change right. are still relevant and needing to change today. Right. Yeah. We need to know the hard truths so then we can be motivated yes. Yes. Uh, to, to learn more and to take action. So it's just like a, a reminder that we, we still have a lot of work to do. Yes. But one of the things that we're interested in hearing a little bit more about, so uh, this concept of legacy gets tossed around a lot. Based on your knowledge, based on your uh, expertise, there are definitely multiple components to his legacy. But what would you say makes up part of uh, Dr. King's legacy? I think in some ways you're right. This is a, a question that could have multiple answers. And, and some of those answers may depend on kind of your own particular stance. When I think about King as a historian of African-American history and American history, uh, when I think about King as an African-American woman, when I think about his legacy, what really comes to mind is I think about him as someone who has left us a legacy of the importance of having a very fierce and unyielding commitment to justice, mm-hmm. um, having a very fierce and unyielding commitment to addressing poverty, to addressing inequality. I'm always particularly, um, when I think about some of the histories of King that I've, I've read, some of the ones I, I find most empowering in many ways to read is mm-hmm. when I read about, um, you know, the, the ideas he had about addressing poverty and particularly with, the, with his, his sort of final idea, this poor people's campaign. The Poor People's March. Um, and that's something where you can even, you can almost, you can literally see the legacy of it today. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Reverend Dr. William Barber in North Carolina is still carrying on that Poor People's campaign to make, uh, in the same way King wanted to make um, the issues of poverty and inequality, to bring them to greater public awareness, to make us recognize mm-hmm. as a nation that these are choices that we've Mm -hmm. decided to make in terms of allowing inequality grow in that way, allowing people to live in poverty. And I think I think the legacy of King speaking about these issues for me leaves me feeling like that, that those are some of his most important legacies for us. Yeah, I think you you hit the nail on the head. (laughs) And I somewhat want to keep keep listening to you. So um, maybe we'll go to that question. I, you know, sometimes I think about Dr. King and even some of the romanticization that we do in America mm-hmm. uh, with a lot of figures. And you're really bringing, I think, up points that we should discuss. And the next question is really thinking about who in the community we don't really hear about. So when you think about Dr. King's work, um, you know, is there anything or anyone uh, that you'd like to highlight who doesn't get talked about um, a, a lot? 
And I know I have um, one person uh, specifically that that ticks me off when people don't mention that person. But no pressure, Doctor. <laughs> we'll see if it's the same. <laughs> we have the same <laughs> one. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, for sure. I think that is really important. We do tend to put people on pedestals, and we think of someone as, oh, well, they were a leader. And I think some of the dangers of that is that we end up feeling like, you know, for someone who's interested in um, social justice issues or, or those sorts of things that we need to wait for some leader mm. to, to mobilize us, to engage mm-hmm. us. King was always part of a community. King's work came out of grassroots activism. And I'm going to point to one group that's really important and then mention a few mm-hmm. specific people, Black women. <laughs> we forget mm-hmm. the role of black women uh, in the civil rights movement. And um, you can't do that. <laughs> you really want to understand any aspect of the of the civil rights struggle, any aspect. You can go back to the Montgomery bus boycott when, uh, you know, King first gained kind of a national platform. OK, maybe we do know about Rosa Parks, but do we know about all the work done by all those women in Montgomery? Probably not. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of women gave King a hard time because he was a man of his time. Uh, you know, he was he could be a bit of a you know sexist. Uh, mm-hmm. Women were you know even with the March on Washington, um, there were important black women who were part of kind of organizing and thinking about it, but they didn't really want to have them up there on the stage. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. because again, this is supposed to be a male led organization. Mm-hmm. But when I think about like someone who I think left out of these conversations about kind of the the particularly when we think about the fifties and sixties civil rights movement, one person who I think is really important for people to know about. And again, I don't, I don't know, NJ, if this is the person you're thinking about, but, <laughs> but I, I really think people ought to know something about Fannie Lou Hamer. Mm-hmm. Fannie Lou Hamer was someone who was heavily involved in grassroots organizing in Mississippi, uh, grew up poor, the, the child of sharecroppers, got involved uh, with uh, voting rights activism, and, you know, just, just was inspired lots of young people. Mm -hmm. In 1964, she spoke at the Democratic National Convention, um, calling for the Democratic Party to not let the white Mississippi Democrats, not let their their people sit in the Democratic National Convention, but in fact, to let the African-American group, the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party. And she Mm -hmm. spoke to the entire nation. And she was so amazing because she spoke about her own experiences as a Black woman growing up in poverty in Mississippi, being part of the movement, how she was treated during the movement, how she was uh, sexually assaulted, how she was beaten, all these things. Apparently, mm-hmm. uh, the president, Lyndon Johnson, was really upset at the time because like, people were watching it and he was afraid the ratings were going to go up for people to watch her. And she was just an incredible mm-hmm. activist. And she's just one of a number of really important African-American women who were part of, of the civil rights movement. And King knew about them. But again, given the time period, Black women's activism didn't get as much attention as mm-hmm. it should have. We're really lucky now is that a lot of scholars have over the last 10 or 15 years said, yeah, let's look at the women. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Fannie Lou Hamer is a, is a great person to talk about. I mean, just with her work with SNCC, yes. but I I think it left out more often than not yes. is uh, Bayard Rustin, and you know a lot of it has to yes. do because he was gay, but mm-hmm. uh, he organized 
the yes. March on Washington. And you're right about the women too. They, I mean, none of the civil rights movement would have happened without yes. the black women. But I, I'm glad you brought up Bayard Rustin because no, you're right. He, he is, he played an incredibly important part in the civil rights movement from the 1940s. Wow. Um, he was active very early, and yes, he he was amazing and and what he could pull together to get that march on mm-hmm. Washington going along with a Philip Randolph. And you're exactly right. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get included as much in the discussions in part because he was a gay man at a time when it, you know you could get arrested mm-hmm. for any for being a gay man um i mean again i think over the last 10 or 15 or even 20 years there's been a lot of really good work that's been done on him there's a wonderful documentary mm-hmm. um about rustin that was done maybe about 15 years ago so yeah he is incredibly important and and particularly for king um, particularly for king mm-hmm. he was he was always kind of a an advisor to King, mm-hmm. one of King's mm-hmm. many advisors. So yeah, that's a, I think he's a great person. So you mentioned a documentary, you mentioned Dr. King's book, which isn't, I'm embarrassed to say I had no idea he even had a book. He's got a couple of books. He has a few oh, books. Man. <laughs> I have so much reading to do. Every time I do one of these, I'm like, I have a thousand things I need to read and watch. Because uh, there's so much that I just didn't know about. So For other folks like me who maybe don't know as much, are there any other resources or things that you'd like to shout out that folks can explore? Sure. Yeah, I thought about that. So yeah, so King wrote a number of of books. Again, in 1964, he published Why We Can't Wait. And in 1967, he published his final book, um, which is a really important book to read too. There's a lot of, I just, it's, it's, it's all I can say is read it. Um, yeah. And it's called, uh, Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos or Community? Mm, um, it's a solid title. Yeah. And I have other things to rec- recommend too. You know, you ask a professor to recommend things, you're in trouble. <laughs> Here's the <laughs> syllabus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, there's, again, I, I think the, the, the Memphis uh, sanitation strike um, where King was assassinated because he was, he was involved in that. There's a wonderful book by a guy named Michael Honey called um, Going Down Jericho Road, the Memphis Sanitation Strike, Martin Luther King's last campaign. And mm-hmm. it's a well-written narrative history of that, that final campaign of King and really gets, gives you a sense of what was going on with the movement at that point. And again, about this, this strike in Memphis. What else? Oh, you know, again, there's a brand new book out about Fannie Lou Hamer, which is probably why she's been mm-hmm. on my mind recently, too, mm-hmm. by a historian named Keisha Blaine. And it's called Until I Am Free, Fannie Lou Hamer's Enduring Message to America. Mm-hmm. So I'd mm-hmm. recommend that. And I'll stop because otherwise I'll, <laughs> <laughs> I'll add too many things. But, but yeah, just, you know, search out a few of these things. I, I think it's worth deepening our understanding of of King and the larger movement that he was that he was mm-hmm. part of. Yeah, I'm definitely going to do that. Great. Wow. <laughs> Thank you very much uh, for just following us today and, and really opening our minds and expanding our understanding. Is there anything else you would like to share? I think that maybe my final point is, again, I think part of why it's important to celebrate, you know, the King Day. Um, It's important to think about him, again, as one part of a larger movement, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, particularly as we head towards the end of January and start heading into Black History Month. And I think we also need to keep in mind that understanding what King was about, understanding that history is not something that we should push into just one month a year or one day. Mm -hmm. But this is something that if we really want to be fully engaged 
participants in our society. I think we need to study up 12 months a year. <laughs> yeah. um, so I guess, you know, because again, I think that legacy of King and the work he did and the people he worked with, it still matters today, it still matters for our politics. Um, for our country today. That's definitely one of my biggest takeaways from your sharing with us is that uh, that legacy of learning about and addressing and helping other folks to see the issues that were relevant 60 years ago and still are today. Uh, So a good reminder that putting our knowledge into action and making systemic changes that you mentioned earlier, which is what we're all about. That's right. Those systemic structural changes are really important if we really want to achieve the goals that you know King and many others have said appear to be part of what's supposed to be what this country is all about. Yeah. 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 So just amazing. Uh, yeah, I want to thank, thank you, so you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here and, and sharing uh, so much with us uh, today and with our listeners. And as a um, person who was a history major in undergrad. Uh, I wish I had your class. Oh, I thank did you. Take you could still take it, NJ. <laughs> I, I know, right? I, I, I might. But yes, thank you and everyone for tuning in and listening. If you're interested in learning more, feel free to check out our website at kit.edu slash diversity. Uh, also, feel free to look up uh, Dr. Liz Smith uh, prior as well. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate being here today. And great questions and good conversation. Yeah, thank you. If you've got a topic you'd like us to discuss, either listeners or, I mean, Dr. Smith Pryor, you know, we mentioned bringing you back to talk about okay. voting rights. Uh, All right. Let us know. Got a deal. Yeah. Thank you again, uh, Dr. Smith Pryor. It was sincerely a pleasure to get to, to listen and Absolutely. learn from you. Absolutely. So anyone can email us at diversity at kent.edu or connect with us across social media at DEI Kent State. Uh, And we'll be back uh, in February with another episode. Thank you all and uh, have a good day. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye.